Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Aye, sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Aye, sir. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. We should be able to hear the magnetic resonance field. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I am your host, Gene Turnbow, one of your hosts. The other host is Susan Fox, who is our executive producer. Hello. And this evening we're speaking with Sean Strider, the creative director and executive producer of The Labyrinth of Jareth, one of the most hotly anticipated events of the year in the Los Angeles area. And welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we were... um so who wouldn't want to walk into the world of Labyrinth? At least oh. the pretty shiny parts with the fairies and the songs and David Bowie singing. <laughs> well, we don't dancing. have uh, Yeah, we don't have David Bowie, unfortunately. Alas, not, uh, and that's it, an issue this year. It's it going to be a two-day wake, isn't it? It it is uh definitely something that has saddened us greatly. Um, you know, for those who don't know, the Labyrinth Masquerade was originally inspired by the movie Labyrinth that had David Bowie in it and uh, also Celtic mythology and Brian Froud, Jim Henson, all sorts of fairy tales. And, and it's a place where we sort of blend all of that together. And for me, my biggest influence in starting it would probably be, you know, seeing David Bowie waltzing in that ballroom scene. And as a young artist myself, I was just like, wow, well, I want to I want to go to that someday. And a couple of years went by, and the only way that I could go is if I built it myself. Yes. So uh, 19 years ago, as a, as a teenager in San Diego, we started it, and, and here we are today. It's become quite a thing. 19 years? That's right. People have grown up with it. Holy cow. Yeah, generation. Even. It's, it's been it's strange. Well, you know, the baby Toby in, in the movie grew up to be a, a maker of goblins himself. You've probably created a few... Of uh, fairy dancers on your own. Oh, absolutely! And uh, Toby's <laughs> been to LOJ many, many times. We've uh, we've had lots of good times with Toby. Oh, that's neat stuff. Yeah. So, nineteen years ago, where where was it? Where was it in San Diego, or was it uh, where was it? It, Tell us about it was Tell nineteen us about years. The nineteen years ago, it was in uh, it was in a, a place in San Diego that is the building is torn down now. It was called the Loft. It was the fourth story of this building that I think was allegedly owned by the mafia or something. There was something <laughs> weird with this place. And um, essentially I had somebody come up to me, call me two days after being out drinking and said, hey, Sean, that idea that you had with the masquerade, I talked to my bosses and you can have this space if you want to make it there. 
And I was kind of like, uh, who are you? And what was I talking about? <laughs> so I was given a month um, and a space that was really, really raw mm-hmm. and uh, put together a small team to clean the space up. And this was a building that was made in the 20s. And as we're ripping down drywall, we're revealing cherry wood panels and we're you know redoing the floor and sitting there sanding it all down ourselves. And the deal was, was the uh, guys would pay for the materials if we would volunteer the labor to clean the place up a little. Um, our first time out, we were expecting maybe 25 to 50 people. We ended up getting a, a, a line of just under 200, about 150 to 200 people. Wow. And uh, well, as San they Diego say, is one of those towns. San Diego is one of those towns with a lot of imagination people. Absolutely. There, there is so much been. creative energy in San Diego. Just the entire, I mean, it's, you, you go to the Comic Cons, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and there's so much overflow. For the from the convention, it's your the convention really sort of covers the entire south end of the city. Well, and we know musicians right. and artists who who just thrive there. And obviously, right. you found this out. Yeah. Well, Cipher started ironically as a comic book company in San Diego um, a couple of years before we even founded Labyrinth. So you know, once we started there, when your first show is San Diego Comic Con. And then you start touring around. You go to Seattle. You go to Texas. You go to New York. Everything else is just the volume is tuned down, right? Yeah. So you, you come in and you're really, like, well, I'm really, yeah. And this was even in the 90s. It's like Comic Con in the 90s was still the biggest kid on the block. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with uh, people that w- were our mentors, with people like J. Allen Sanford, Neil Gaiman, Ray Bradbury, you know, these are people that we talk to all the time that really shaped what we wanted to be. And, um, you know, it's strange when you go elsewhere where that's just not even accessible to people. So San Diego is a, a strange place in that regard because it's America's smallest large town. You know, it, uh, it, it's a military town. It doesn't really support its own very well, and yet it has this wellspring of fantastic artists and fantastic art. And my advice to most of them is leave San Diego. Get out of the military shadow. Go to L.A., go to San Francisco, go anywhere else. And then you will love San Diego again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's um, you go there and you just sort of soak up the vibe. I yeah. mean, it's all it's it's been the the entire south end of the city has been regentrified and and rebuilt to celebrate the creative spirit. Very much so. Oh, yeah. Gaslamp is beautiful nowadays. Oh, it is. It's gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. Well, and they've got a whole celebration. They, the whole, their whole steampunk and scene. You down cross. There. Uh, you cross two sets of uh, uh, trolley car tracks, and you're in from the San Diego Convention Center. You know, from Comic Con, and you're in the Gaslight District. You're. It's right there. Absolutely. And you have to go wearing your bustles and your goggles and. <laughs> <laughs> you fit right yeah, in. There's, there's another uh, big uh, gathering down there, the Gaslight Gathering, mm-hmm. that happens in the Gaslight District. Yeah. Which is, because uh, why not? Yeah, because why not? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, believe last year it was at the Town and Country, I think. Um, and then they definitely they have things all over the place. It's, it's a beautiful gathering. Uh, I was there uh, when they brought Professor Elemental down uh-huh. from, from the UK. And it was it's just a fun show. It's really, really fantastic. So you've been doing um, uh, Jared's Labyrinth now for uh, 19 years. You said that. Yes. And, That's correct. And, You're still goggling. And I'm just, yeah, yeah I'm just, old goggle eyes is back. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
uh, how big has it gotten now? How many? How many? What's is your it head like count? Thousands of people show up, or it, it is it is now thousands of people. Oh uh, we God. take over this year. We're going to be taking over the entire Millennium Biltmore, all ballrooms, all structures, part of the outside. We're blocking off part of the street. Um, it is a far cry from the little tiny room that it was in in a 1920s loft uh, in 1997 in San Diego. So, what do you um, do for two days? Well, uh, you know, the Labyrinth Masquerade is is a very distinctive event. It is it is fantasy gone amok. Um, to give you sort of an idea of what it takes to create it and, and what you can discover within it, uh, we get started in Cypher. Cypher is a collaboration of artists. There's about 500 of us. And we start building it in November. And it's a linear storyline. There's five different stages and there are acts and performers on stages that are every major fantasy archetype you could think of. We have elves and elementals and goblins and dragons and demons and all sorts of characters. And they all have this linear storyline that goes from year to year to year. So there are story arcs that started five years ago that are still being played out as pantomime on the stage with some fantastic circ performers and dancers, opera singers and rock uh, performers and just... We blend it all up, we mix it all up, and we create hundreds of costumes, hundreds of pieces of prop work, and and just different sorts of arts and labors to create this cohesive sanctuary so that everyone else can bring in their costumes and everyone else can bring in their own fantasies and be within the ball one night as if you're discovering this world where all these portholes opened and... You have this one chance, this this 24-hour period or this 48-hour period to explore what this other world is. Oh, wow. I, this really makes me want to go. <laughs> so let's go. When yeah, you, you guys should come if you haven't come. When well, when do you take it? August. It's in, it's in August? It is in August. It's uh, August 5th and 6th this year mm-hmm. uh, at the Millennium Biltmore in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the largest masquerade ball in North America. Uh, it was voted third best uh, masquerade ball in the world by Traveler Magazine, which we thought was pretty cool. Um, we, we, you know, fell a little short to the Venetian Carnival and to Rio. I think that's fair. These are people who have been doing it <laughs> centuries longer, and I think you're doing all right. I, I think, I think, I think yeah. Venice has one up on us. That is true. Yeah. That's pretty <laughs> awesome. Holy schlamoli. So are there events during the day, or is it just evening? You know, right now, right now, there are not events during the day. Um, We have kind of a unique opportunity that we haven't had before. One of the things to keep in mind is that LOJ is not, um, it's a labor of love. It's not a a major cash cow. We intentionally don't go after major sponsorships and such um, because we want to create this sanctuary. Um, And most of us work in the entertainment industry. Most of us are in the film industry. We're engineers. We're artists. um, And... This is our one chance to build something real. You know, a lot of us go mm-hmm. onto a set, a movie set, and we've built these skills. You know, we can sculpt fountains out of stone. We can make swords out of metal. We've honed this skill, this love of fantasy and this love of storytelling. You get on set and they're like, okay, cool. Here's a roll of spike tape and here's some gaff tape. Um, mark it on the floor. We're doing it all in post. Uh, thanks for coming today. <laughs> and part of yeah. you dies a little. But when you yeah. turn the lights down, the magic happens. Yeah, right, get it? right. Well, and, but at Labyrinth, we build this stuff for real. Uh-huh. So we have some of the best customers in the world that are able to use those skills at LOJ and make something truly phenomenal. Uh, we have fantastic sculptors from all over 
the industry that, you know, they come to me and they're like, dude, I just really want to build a 20 foot dragon. And I say, cool, let's do that. (laughs) So we will find a home for it here. Do you have your own workshops and we do. Facilities? We, have our, we have our own workshops. We uh, have collaborations with other artists as well. So we have accesses to things like traditional blacksmith forge over at Sword and Stone. Mm-hmm. We have access to some major costuming uh, workshops as well. Um, we have our own spaces and our own warehouses because 19 years of building props and costumes, you end up having quite an inventory. Um, and, uh, you know, for the most part, the lunatics have not only taken over the asylum, but They've created their own world, and for two nights out of the year, we throw up the walls and say nobody can get us unless they have a costume. <laughs> All right. So it's it. The workshop must be like uh, like the Muppet workshop, you know, the <laughs> Henson's. I, I I don't know if I can mm-hmm. aspire quite that high, but um, it's a lot of fun. There's a there's a lot of we don't we don't get bored easily because we have a little bit of everything. We have seamstresses. We have a lot of uh, mm-hmm. soft and hard sculpture. Um, we have a section dedicated to dance floor just for our dancers to perform in front of mirrors and things like that. And of course, your traditional sort of offices that we need for fulfillment and logistics and things. So do you work in some of the more advanced practical effects like um, Arduino driven devices or creatures? Absolutely. Like that? Yeah, no, we do. We do a lot of things with Arduino. Um, lily pads are one of our favorite things because you can stitch them into the costumes uh, we do a lot of LEDs and RGB pieces. Um, some of our some of our people are Imagineers over at Disney, so you know when they're bored, they get to come over and play with this sort of stuff as well. Okay, the, just the idea of a bored Imagineer—that <laughs> is dangerous. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, even even still, there there comes a point where you um, you just want to do something a little different, hang out with your friends while doing it. We use it as a as a test ground to play with new ways to tell stories, and then we take it out into the world when we find something that works. So how much of how much of what you do is physical and how much of it is the impression of something that is there? How, how do you, how... Sounds like a expansive. lot of it's really there, you know? Yeah, there's, like so a lot of it's really practical. LOJ is a very strange show in the fact that um, we're blending a lot of elements. We have all the problems that you have with live theater. We have all the problems you have with a live ballet or dance company that has, you know, 20 to 30 people that are on stage simultaneously. Um, all we of whom have, think they're the star. What's that? Is it all of whom think they're the star? Of course, of course. You know, but, and, and rightfully so, they all are. I mean, they're all putting in their oar. They're all going their hundred different directions and they're making the sweet chaos that makes it such a spectacle. Uh, so, you know, I like to believe that everyone in Cypher is a special little snowflake and, and that's awesome. Uh, and, uh, and God save the beta that ever joins because it is a company of artists that are all alphas and are all explorers in their different disciplines. And it's a lot of fun. Um, so your, your question was specifically, how much do we do this practical at Labyrinth? Quite a lot. Um, pretty much every costume it has to be beyond what a, ta- a technical theatrical costume would be because unlike a stage performance where somebody gets on stage and they're in their costume for 30 minutes to, to two hours, depending on how many change outs they have and then they put it on the rack and it's treated nicely from there. Um, our performances. Oh, geez, guys, I am okay. so sorry. About we'll that. hold, we'll put that on hold for a moment. Yeah. I'm going to go oh. ahead and turn that on silent. Can you guys, that was on. 
Uh, and did he just use a mallet? I, think I did. So, yeah. I think he used a mallet, and it on said that. boom on it. I, I, I actually didn't say boom. It just had these great brass strappings with some uh, <laughs> with some with some big diamonds. I heard a distinctive there. crunch there. Yeah. No, hear, anyway, hear, but so we're running down the difference between costume and clothing. Ah, perfect. Thank you. I, I I understand that distinction. I hope you guys are editing and cutting now. So you betcha. Is, oh yeah. Good, this is good. why we pre-record. Fantastic. Yeah, we have, um, we have two mottos here. The first one is sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. And the other one is we'll fix it in post. I love both of these. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at, at, you know, at LOJ, we have, we have a saying because it's a live event. And sometimes even the most ambitious plans don't quite go quite the way you want, especially when you're doing something giant like a, a giant dragon or, or a major stage act that has lots of moving pieces. And when something doesn't quite hit the mark, we look at each other and go, you know, it'll be dark and they'll be drunk. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, I like that. You know what? Gremlins uh, <laughs> Gremlins are supernatural, too. That's right. That's right. Gremlins are, are – I mean, goblins are part of the labyrinth. Well, it's it's like been... uh, I used to work in practical effects and we used to say, uh, you know, it, it, it only has to pass the squint test. That's right. You know, you, you turn off the key lights. You turn on the work lights. You get back about 30 feet, bend over and squint. And if it looks good <laughs> – It'll look good on camera. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Well, it reminds me of a story I, I heard about Jim Henson. Um, he was working on something for Muppets 3D. And everyone at Disney was trying to convince him that they were going to do this this 3D elaborate piece of this butterfly that was going to take you through the experience. And the deadline on this thing just kept getting longer and longer. And like this one little butterfly just wasn't getting done. And everyone was arguing over the right technology and such the 3d was a very young field at this point and jim you know in his infinite wisdom and, and practicality was like well here just give me five minutes and he goes off to the corner and he builds a little butterfly puppet and he literally puts it on a fishing pole and a string and starts bouncing it through the scene and is like are you catching it there is that fine cool let's just do this practical and get it done <laughs> i love that yeah uh, you know and, yep. and then and then came off with the motto that simple is good Simple is good when you're trying to tell the story. And the argument has been the emotion that he was able to tell with a little bit of, of gossamer cloth and the string was so much better than the emotion that he would have been able to tell with seven months of CG at the time. And at the end of the day, that's what we're doing, whether it's on stage, whether it's at Labyrinth, whether it's something that we create up close when we're interacting with people or something that we're putting in front of a room of 1500 people on a giant stage, you have to tell the story. There has to be a narration that draws people in and lets them believe that there are details that are happening the moment this act ends, that the story continues beyond the chapter that they see. Yeah. The sense that the, the world is much larger than the slice they're being shown. Absolutely. And leave them hungry for wanting mm -hmm. to look around the corners and, and discover that world. And with Labyrinth, one of the things that we really try to do in honoring that creative spirit is we create a lot of details that some are told in pantomimes. So you only get a taste. Some you have to walk up and, and you can actually discover and talk to people and find out who's sort of in on it and who is merely a spectator in this, this immense performance. So... We don't have anybody that is merely a spectator. Everybody is a participant of some sort. The descriptions that I have read of the Labyrinth of Jared simply do not do this justice. I mean, it's 
you see pictures of it and it just it does not get the impression across Mm-mm. well it's in two dimensions you have to yeah. walk through it to to be there to be in the moment i think you would like this yeah it's one of the things it's one of our biggest challenges and and you know in, in some ways one of our blessings too that in an environment where you have giant shows like Comic-Con, giant shows like uh, Anime Expo, where it's very easy to understand what it is. You have your list of the panels that you have. You understand the cosplay element. You know where you're going to go do that. And that's really cool. And it's really big and really crowded. But you're also standing in a pit being spectated by tens of thousands of other people who aren't really participating in the same way. Mm-hmm. At LOJ, it's very difficult for us to explain, but there's the mandate that everyone must participate. Everyone must have a costume, and it has to hit a, a standard, and we don't give you a rule list that says, oh, well, you can't wear sneakers, you can't do this. Instead, we say, you know, we have to see some effort, and uh, we're going to judge it at the door. And if you make effort, you're rewarded, and if you don't make any effort, we're going to sniff you out. We're going to make you wizard robes, I think. Um, <laughs> exactly. And a, and, and, a, and a big hat that says wizard on it, so I know you're one. <laughs> you know, but, but this sort of mentality, it changes the way that people experience the event. And it also changes the entire feel because everyone's a little out of their element, and yet everyone is very, very safe. So these are two things that, we think are essential to the kind of magic that allows people to explore these stories, explore the space and and really lose themselves in having a fantastic time. So, you know, it's hard to explain walking through the doors, what that experience is like. You know, a lot of people say, well, is it like Burning Man where everyone's artists? Kind of, but not really. Is it, is it like uh, the opera or the theater? Yes, absolutely. But not really. These are very incomplete pictures to, what we call a complete submergence event so compa- where you are compare, submerged into the world. Compare with Renaissance Fair, they do want you to come in costume, although a lot of people don't. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, there's no real comparison. Um, this isn't a vendor show. This isn't, this isn't uh, a dressed-up um, merchant row, which is what the Renaissance Fair is. Mm-hmm. Once you pay for your ticket, there's very few other things aside from drinks and food to really get at LOJ. We do have some merchants, but for the most part, everything's about the experience from that point. And when you come in, not only are all the patrons really excited to be there and showing off some of their best work, but you were surrounded by some of the best customers on the planet. And they are there for one reason. There's no prize. There's no pageant. There's no catwalk. They are there to be part of the exact ambience and environment. They're there to lose themselves in a world of fantasy for a weekend. Is there, uh, do you think that there is a consistent look and feel that people adopt because they know what uh, Labyrinth of Jared is like, you know? And, and I mean, is it, uh, do you see more of a cohesiveness than, than a random all over the place sort of uh, scattershot design. You know that um I think a really good to tell you what Labyrinth of Jared is like as far as um the expectation of costumes and the cohesiveness uh it is very very diverse. This is one of the few places that you will see 
you know, elves that look like they stepped out of Lord of the Rings sitting next to Optimus Prime talking with a bunch of goblins that look like they have just escaped the labyrinth. It's surreal, absolutely surreal. Um, I do see an evolution. I see a lot of people come for the first time and they get a character in their head. They say, I want to be Belle from Beauty and the Beast. I want to be the princess at the ball. And so they spend all their time thinking this is going to be that kind of ball. It's going to be, it's going to be like Beauty and the Beast or it's going to be like Sarah and Labyrinth. And we get a bunch of newbies that, that dress up that way and they have an amazing time. They, they get to get that out of their system and they feel that they get to be in this, you know, early 19th century ballroom with glass chandeliers and Rococo uh, Rococo balconies and a a beautiful expansive dance floor and they get to dance and they get to dream and they get to be the princess and then they start walking out of the place with that afterglow of okay next year I need to kick it up a notch (laughs) and you know I had I had somebody from a studio um, come up to me at LOJ one year and she said the problem with this event to us is that in a, in a year where Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Chronicle, mm. Narnia Chronicles are the biggest movies, nobody here is really dressed as those costumes. So to us, from a corporate standpoint, Labyrinth seems like a very established anti-establishment show. Good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> Toby Proud was right there and goes, yeah, I know. Isn't it great? And this person from, from a, a studio who, whom we love was like, well, no. It's not. <laughs> because this is what we're afraid the Internet is turning into. We can't actually use this to market anything except for imagination itself. And my thought was precisely that's what we want. We right. want to make a sanctuary that, sure, if you have recognized characters and you want to bring them in, Absolutely. But when you're ready to step away and create your own character, that could absolutely be living in in some enchanted forest somewhere or some sky elemental that has a backstory that I can't even imagine. If you want to bring these characters, our our request is is an effort that fits the theme. Do you do you see a lot of people going back to the the well? You know the the Brian Froud designs and oh, absolutely, absolutely. And those are some of my favorites. No. Those really tickle me uh, quite a bit. Um, I see people come in as Skeksis. I see people come in as, of course, the the archetypes of of these films. We made a decision internally to stop doing that uh, for a number of reasons. One of the big ones is because I didn't want to turn it into Labyrinth, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm. Right. You know, I I did not think that that was true to the spirit that we were trying to, to convey. And there there were so many worlds to discuss. And I was, I was talking with Brian Froud many, many years ago when he was at LOJ and, and he told me about all the things him and he and Jim Henson were working on that. They, they had built this entire world that behind every brick had meaning that there were fairies and gelflings and all these things were connected in this great big world that he wanted to continue to explore. And he does explore in his books and his works. And that he and Jim had talked about all of these things that they could do. And he was the one that really turned me on to the Celtic mythology where they got it from. And he was the one that said, you, you've studied Venetian, you've studied what we did, but 
I mean, do you really know about the Unshi and the Shi? Do you know about the dark fairies? Do you know about the, you know, Sir Walter Scott's demonology book, which is really a book that was paid for by the church to talk about fairy and pagan lore? He's like, do you know where we got it? Ooh. And, um, and as I started studying that and started reading on that, that's where I realized this is, this is where our story is going to go. As the people that are creating the sanctuary, we're going to create this box, this, this world that never was, that people can come in and come out of once a year and participate in this court where there are great doings and there are small doings, and you have a role to play the moment you walk into the doors. That's, that's marvelous. That is so, it is so invigorating to, uh, you know, to think about uh, where the images on the screen come from and then to go back and dig deeper and find that it just keeps going back and it's turtles all the way down. Mm. It's, you know, it's been a real, it's a real privilege and, and it's, it's been a real interesting ride so far. And I think we're just getting started. I think that there's so much more to tap. And, you know, after 19 years, you start seeing a whole new generation that hasn't even seen our, the things that we grew up with, hasn't seen the things that we were inspired. And we're able to introduce them to these inspirations. We're able to, to, remember, to remind them and, and expose them to these things so that they have a life beyond just a single generation. And that's really exciting to see people rediscover this. Sort of uh, a sort of a cultural memory. Exactly. Exactly. A cultural heritage that you that you're passing down from one generation to the next. Well, because you've been doing it long enough that that actually happens. Yeah, that's very true. Well, and we ha- we we also put in other influences as well. I mean, with this year particularly, our storyline our storyline goes in three year arcs now. So we just left what we call the Talisk Civil War, which are these dark elves that, you know, lots of fight choreography on stage, lots of good versus evil, big archetypes, because we're painting a picture that's just big, silly archetypes that we're having a great amount of fun creating. Um, and as we go into the next story arc, the next story arc for the next three years has a huge influence of going back to the Celtic mythology and getting into Midsummer Night's Dream by William Shakespeare. Um, so we're, we're calling it the midsummer story arc. So you're going to see a lot more of those fairies. You're going to see a lot more of the, the, the wisps that wait on the edge of twilight and the creatures that lurk in the forest. Those things that were outside the labyrinth that you, you know, can imagine Hoggle is just really annoyed by (laughs) (laughs) and being able to explore what their world is like and, and mixing in, you know, the high fairies of, of Celtic lore and, and mixing in, all the great fantasy influences that we've had, everything from Tolkien to, you know, C.S. Lewis and, and just any, any of them. And, of course, a lot of cloud. Um, now, I'm a big Terry Pratchett fan, so I am right on the same page with this. But I'm liable to be the smart-ass witch who comes <laughs> along and tries to swat the fairies. And <laughs> You know, there, there's, there's certainly room for that on our wheel. I think, I think that that is okay. Um, you know, some of my favorite costumes have been people that came in as fairy catchers and such. By the way, don't recommend it. You will be hated. <laughs> okay. And so when are, I say mm, there's good eating on one of them, I'm I'm going to get swatted. Yeah, I'd be careful. I, 
<laughs> we have knights, and they will defend you if you really get yourself in a corner. But um, you know, keep in mind that LOJ is unique for a lot of reasons. One of the big ones is that we have a four to one female to male ratio, and there are way more fairies than there are anything else. So just keep that in mind. Okay. <laughs> so wither the labyrinth. What is what is the next quantum level? What is your next with, plan? What's what with, comes after within, this? What's after the labyrinth masquerade or, or this or year's it, arc? It, or you know, you went from a a loft to a hotel. What's after that? <laughs> well, I think that um, for us right now, this this new this new venue with the the Biltmore is a legendary venue. Um, mm-hmm. and we're really lucky to have it. It is gorgeous. This is, this is the place that felt, uh, that was the home to the very first Oscars. Uh, this was when JFK was running for president. This was his base of operations. The helicopter pad that was built on the top of this building, uh, next to the presidential suite was built for the Beatles so that they could get out of the building when the place was <laughs> wow. created or when, That's when it awesome. was created. That is um, awesome. the, uh, the architecture and everything within it is just glorious and beautiful. And it shares painters and architects with the white house and with several of the, the large monuments like the park plaza and city hall in Los Angeles. It is, it is a place that will take us a couple years to grow into. Um, and they're really embracing us as a crown jewel for them. So when you ask what's next, I mean, for us, it's trying to tell that story better and is trying to, make the world feel real and truly transform a magnificent space into something even cooler. You know, that when you walk into the Goblin Cabaret, that you feel like this is a really strange space with really strange creatures trying to entertain you. When you walk into the Grand Ballroom, that it doesn't feel like any other event you've ever been in before. Everything that we use, we use every trick in the book from our projections to our dancers, to our costumes, you know, everything so that we can transform the space and submerge you into it. So what's next is every year we add more details. Every year we just do a little bit more. Are there creatures in the, uh, in the labyrinth that, uh, Absolutely. that, Absolutely. that, uh, that are not human sized? Absolutely. There's, we have, we have creatures great and small. So, you know, we have a, a major love for puppetry, uh, obviously with our influences mm-hmm. and, Again, for us, it's all about telling the story and eliciting that emotional response. You know, for you can only when you have such a large group of people and they are stunned with everything going on. It's a lot to look at. I mean, it's it's as colorful as Vegas, but it's tapestries and brocades, and they you have their attention for two or three minutes to tell a little whisper of a story and set it in their heart and set their hook. And you could have a small puppet, like a little goblin puppet, come up and just say, excuse me, sir, have, have you seen where these flowers are? Because they're the only things I can eat. Or you turn around and have a 20-foot dragon named Sparkles sing Bohemian Rhapsody while breathing ice upon the entire crowd. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I can picture that in my mind's eye, and I'm sure it doesn't measure up to the real thing. <laughs> and it becomes a sing-along at that. Point. It is. It is. It's and and this is just this is just artists having fun with this tapestry because that's what we're doing. We're just having an intense amount of fun, telling stories, amusing ourselves, and uh, opening the doors to let anyone else that wants to come in and join us join us and be a part of it. 
You know, if they did go full time with it, I'm afraid they would fall into the real other world and we'd never see them again. <laughs> no, I think it's good, um, at least for, for Earth as we know it, that, um, that we only get a window glimpse for a couple of days a year. And how much preparation does it take to do this? How much wind up before the pitch? Uh, have well, you started we, building now? Or? Yes, we have. Okay. So we oh typically um, hard builds and costuming about eight or nine months of that. Um, story design, paintings, artistic design. Um, we are starting concepts and story arcs for 2017 and 2018 now. Well, if they're starting a new story arc, this is the time to... Uh... Mm -hmm. Take your maiden voyage into the other world. So if somebody wanted to um, join up, you know, and offer their help or their services, how would they How would they reach you? How would they go about this? Is there a uh, ferry personnel office? There, there is, there is a, not really a ferry personnel office. We're not that organized. We have a goblin personnel office, unfortunately, so sometimes we get the messages. <laughs> uh, um, the best thing to do is go, if you go onto the website, uh, there's a contact form there, and you can absolutely say, hey, I want to join the crew and give a list of things that you uh, think you'd be good at. And mm -hmm. we're pretty open. Um, we, we, we thrive by bringing in new artists and giving them this sort of experience. Um, and, um, you know, you will definitely learn an awful lot because we are extraordinarily diverse. And I, I have the great privilege of saying that We've introduced a lot of great artists to the first time that they've worked with mediums that they ended up making lifetimes working with. You know, we've introduced sculptors to sculpting for the first time. We've introduced costume makers who didn't know that they'd be good at it by just putting them on a sewing machine and say, hey, we've got 50 of these that we have to finish by tomorrow. Uh, lend a hand. Here's how to do it. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> just marvelous. Just like any of that's these marvelous. Uh, events that you do for the love of it, you have a, an, an immense talent that that comes out of the woodwork. Um, and sometimes you just don't even know you have it in, it in you until you're exposed to the magic. It's amazing what you can do when you have to. And that's the other side of it. That is true. That it's, is true. Uh, as I often say, there's going to be a show tomorrow night, whether I like it or not. So let's make one I like. There you go. <laughs> that's good. I like that. So what are the age guidelines? Um, we have a very diverse age range. Uh, at at the Labyrinth Masquerade, you will see children with their parents and entire, and entire families, which we allow. We think this is a good thing. We think this is the kind of thing that families should experience with each other. It's way better than sitting around playing video games and watching TV. Is getting dressed up and going to this sort of event and taking it out of the spectrum of just a cultural norm and turning it into something that's really artistic to explore. Um, and then we have lots and lots of young adults, of course. We have lots and lots of older adults, and then we have lots of elders as well. Uh, I like to say that our age range is 8 to 80, um, and our demographics bear that out pretty well. There's a diverse amount of things that you could find within the masquerade. You could find lots of small entertainments just wandering the halls. Um, we have a giant ballroom that is dedicated to essentially ballroom dances and, and the classic sort of masquerade-style you know, classical music and beautiful gowns and, and chivalry. We also have several other ballrooms that are modern music and, and are pulsing with life and, and have stage acts that are just a lot of fun, a lot of fun, pulling everything out of the hat that we could think of that year that we feel like doing. 
this sounds like something that you really must experience for yourself, and everyone should go at least once in their lives. I, I agree. Okay, when do tickets go on sale? Tickets are on sale now. We've released them earlier than we've ever had be- we ever have before. So tickets are online now. You can go to labyrinthmask.com. That's L-A-B-Y-R-I-N-T-H-M-A-S-K.com. Or you can even type in Labyrinth Masquerade in uh, Google, and you'll find it very easy. Um, and the show, the gates of the Labyrinth open on August 5th and 6th of 2016. That's marvelous. Well, thank you for joining us on this week's episode of The Event Horizon. Great. Well, thank you guys for having me. It was quite lovely. And we have been speaking with... With uh, Sean Strider, the creative director and executive producer of The Labyrinth of Jareth. And it's this has been kind of a... My imagination is 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 sparked by hearing His, about I can all this. watch. I can see the sparkles just happening, and you know the smoke pouring out of your ears. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be all night. It's going to be him saying, "Oh, we got to do this," and I'll be okay with that, actually. <laughs> well, fantastic! Thank you guys for having me. Please uh, come to the labyrinth and and let me know your thoughts after experiencing it for yourselves. I, we so, will. Absolutely, we will. Thank you for joining us this evening for episode 127 of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for February 27th, 2016, with your hosts, Susan L. Fox and Gene Turnbow. Our guest this evening has been Sean Strider, the creator and showrunner of the annual fantasy masquerade in San Diego, California, called The Labyrinth of Jareth. This episode will air again on February 28th, 2016 at 4 p.m. Pacific and at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, and at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. Once all the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others as downloads on KryptonRadio.com and on iTunes and Stitcher as podcasts. If you are an author or other creator and would like to be on the show, please contact our production manager, Kat Carter, at katcarter at KryptonRadio.com. If you would like to become a patron of the Geeky Arts, and we strongly suggest that you do, you can do so for as little as $1 to $5 a month. Please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio to join the Krypton Radio family of patrons. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by Mark Schirmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by legendary science fiction writer Larry Niven. This program and its contents, except where provided by others, are copyright 2016 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi. <laughs>